Good morning again. I'm going to be dealing with the three large subjects that are contained in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are some of the broadest subjects that, that we'll run across in the Bible, as I've mentioned before. When he said he's the way, he meant that he's the only way. If you want to come to God, if you expect to come to God, you must come through Jesus Christ. And then he said that I am the truth, which means that as we seek to find the right way, we seek the way that Jesus has provided and the truth that he's provided in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now then, he says, I am the life. In Acts 3.15, the Bible says that uh, He is the Prince of Life. Jesus is the Prince of Life. This is one of the sermons that's being preached by Peter. And then Paul later on in Colossians 3 at verse 4 says, Christ, who is our life, shall appear. In Galatians 2 at verse 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live the faith of the Son of God who gave Himself for me. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, when we're going to talk about life, Jesus said through, through Paul, the apostle, he's writing to a young gospel preacher. Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Let's see if I can change this. There it is. And then the next one. Two promises, two statements. The promise of the life that now is and of the life that is to come. Now we gauge life, when, when we talk about life, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, we gauge life by how, and I, I'm, going to, I'm going to press on this point, we gauge life about how, uh, with the way we feel, things are going for us. So when you came in this morning and I said, how are you doing? Then you could have said, well, last week I went bankrupt. And I'd know then that you weren't feeling very well. <laughs> Or you could have said, I just had a flat and I couldn't get here on time and I would know you'd be a little frustrated. We're talking about how you feel about life. How do you feel about your life? Because that's what life with God is all about. It is about how we feel. We gauge life by our standard of living. We hear people sometimes say, when they view someone that's driving in a nice, large automobile, living in a luxurious home and having plenty of money, we say, now that's really living. Have you heard that statement before? That's living. Or someone gets sick and they get tired and they get frustrated and they'll say, if this is all there is to life, then I don't want to live. So we're gauging life by our, our standard of life how well we prosper, how healthy we are, how well we're doing on the job, or whether or not we have prospects of another job, or how big our house is, or how commodious our home is. We're gauging life by, by our, our standard in society. We equate life 
actually with living in a Shangri-La. That's what we want to do. If we feel like we're really alive and living, that means that all of our needs are being satisfied and that we have good prospects ahead of us and that we're comfortable and that nothing's going wrong in our life, so we're really living. Well, that's what the world thinks, of course, and that's sometimes what we think. And I want you to understand that we're talking about feelings. So we sometimes even though we believe in Jesus Christ, we sometimes have those same feelings. We feel like we're not getting what we should have, that we're not getting ahead like we should be, that God is not blessing us like He should be, that He's not answering our prayers because we're not getting the things that we want. Now Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus sets forth a, a parable of a man who had... Uh, was prosperous and he had fields and he had fields planted and he had barns and he'd already brought his crops into it. He'd gotten so many, so, such a luxurious crop, such a productive crop that he said, well, what can I do? I'm going to have to tear down some barns and build some bigger barns so I'll have what I have left over. Well, he said, Jesus said before he, he stated this parable, he said, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Okay, now, so when we're going to talk about life with Jesus, we're not going to be talking about possessions. The realization of life, what life really is, comes when, when we face setbacks, or we undergo defeat, or we have our hearts broken, or we are betrayed. Or we suffer a disaster. Or something arises in our lives that makes us think, there is no tomorrow for me. That's, that's what happens to us when we, when we feel like, and I'm saying when we feel that our life is not going anywhere. We, we, uh, we place everything, all of our value here. And we want to live a life in Eden rather than a life on this earth. So we want our heaven ahead of time, basically, is what we're looking at. Now that's all going to happen. If you're faithful to God and you die in the faith, then you're going to step across that great chasm and you're going to come into a life that we've just described of plenty. You won't have any problems. Your physical health will be great. There won't be any disasters in your future. Your future will be wonderful and bright and shiny. Everything will be fine. That's heaven. But remember, He promised heaven. And He also said there is a present life. The life that is now and life that's promised. So what do we do with the life that we have now? How do you feel about your life with God? Or do you have a, have a life with God? Now Paul told Timothy again in this, this same letter in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, that we ought to learn to be content with what we have. That uh, in Philippians 4, verse 11, he said, I am content in whatsoever state I find myself. Having food and raiment therewith, let us be content. Actually, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, he says, We brought nothing into this world, and we're not going to take anything out. So, when we leave this world, we won't have anything. But Jesus made a promise to us about this life, the life to come, and he made a promise about this life. And the life he made, the promise he made was, 
I came to give them life and that more abundantly. Now then, the question is, and you're believers, are you living an abundant life with Jesus Christ? How do you feel? That's the question that, that's before all of us. The, the problem that we have, our connection with God is, is, a, is a heart connection. And when we start out in this world, we have a connection as a baby. We're connected to God. We can see that in a child and an infant as they're growing up. You look into their eyes and you're looking into the eyes of God himself. You're looking at innocence. You're looking at purity. You're looking at righteousness. You're looking at everything that's good in this life. But as the child grows, the time comes when the child says, Hey, I don't feel like I want to do what other people want me to do. And so we, we go astray. We sin. And when we sin, then we separate ourselves from God. Actually, sin betrays us. And it betrays our hearts. And it makes us feel differently toward God than we should be feeling. That's the issue. I'm not feeling close to God. Why? Because sin has betrayed me and said, Hey, Bill, there's other things you ought to be doing. You don't have to do these things. You don't have to deprive yourself of things. You can, you can have fun. You can enjoy yourself. You don't have to watch your language. You don't have to watch what you say to people. You don't have to tell the truth all the time if it's not advantageous. Just, just do what you feel is right. Let your heart guide you. Well, our heart, is, our heart has to be involved with our relationship to God. Because sin separates us from God. Now, because our heart is the heart relationship and not simply a physical relationship, that makes it easier for us to get confused. Did you know that? When we're doing anything, go down to buy a car. Go buy a car. Go buy a new car, if you can. Buy a used car. Go talk to a car dealer. You're not going to tell him everything you think about that car. And he's not going to tell you everything he knows about that car. He's not going to expose his heart to you and let you know the truth of what the car is. And you're not going to tell him how you feel. You don't want him to know that you really want that car so he can charge enough money for it that will make you feel like you're overcharged. So there's a, there's a problem going on. You're not heart to heart with this guy. And you don't expect to be. When we, when we give our heart to someone, here's a young boy who, who feels like, hey, I'm in love with this girl. They're, they're in the sixth grade. I'm in love. But, but I don't want her to know I'm in love because I don't want to risk being hurt. Isn't that right? When I was in the sixth grade, well, when I was in the fifth grade, I liked her. But we, we forgot about that for a while. But I didn't want her to know that I, I, I loved her. And she probably didn't think anything about me, or she might have. But the point is, I wanted to make sure that she loved me in return before I expose my heart to her. Isn't that correct? Isn't that what you do? So we pass notes back and forth. And I talk to her friends, and she talks to my friends, Hey, does he like me? Yeah, he likes you. Oh, good. And then, then, you, then you can make the romance work. And that, this works as you, as you get older. You don't want to expose your heart. But my friend, 
until you expose your heart to God, you cannot have a connection. And God exposed his heart to us very freely. He said, you come to the cross and you stand at the base of the cross and you look up at my son and you know what? I love you. I love you. Now, we have to have an emotional attachment to God. And at that point, I haven't had an emotional attachment to God. Sin has numbed my heart. It's deadened my heart. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So in all these weeds that I've grown up around me, I have not been able to see God. And I've not been able to understand Him. And I don't know that He loves me. Oh, I can read the Old Testament. And you better be careful when you read the Old Testament because the Old Testament leads you to the cross. That's all it does. It led you to the cross. Galatians chapter 3 says it was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So reading the Old Testament is really good because it gives you the background of when Jesus was coming. But for you to get your heart cracked open, for you to get your heart softened, for you to open up and say... I love God, you have to come to the cross. Then that's a feeling you have. You have a feeling of love. Someone says, oh, preacher, that's dangerous. Yes, it is dangerous. It's dangerous to open your heart to someone. Why? Because they can step on it. Can't they? People can step on your heart. So it is dangerous. Is God going to step on your heart? Well, certainly not. In Hebrews chapter 3, and what I'm, what I'm wanting to, to emphasize to you is that it is easy, it is easy for us to be led astray because the heart is easy to be led astray. It's easy for someone to come along and deceive me concerning God because my heart is open to Him. My feelings are open to Him. Now, in Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 7, it says, Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their hearts. They have not known my way, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, listen carefully lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It's easy to fall into disbelief, into unbelief. It certainly is. It's, it's, it's uh, something that the, the writers warn against. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59, at verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, neither is ear heavy that He cannot hear, but your sins have hid His face from you. So, my sin hid God from me. Now when my sin is removed, Jesus revives, brings my heart back to life. And that's what's promised in the Old Testament. At the cross, we have heard the gospel story. We have heard of God's great love for us. And Jesus actually shocks my heart back into life. My heart has become dead to God. I won't listen to His voice. I won't do His will because I don't have a connection with Him. I don't have a heart connection with Him. I'm afraid to expose myself to Him. I'm afraid to expose my heart to Him because I'm not sure what He's going to do with my heart. 
What do you want me to do, Lord? Now, that's, that's the situation that people had until Jesus came. God said that we are to love Him with all of our heart, mind, and soul. But the Bible says we, we need to keep His commandments. I'm not going to keep His commandments until my heart is committed to Him. When my heart is fully committed to Jesus Christ and to God, then I'm going to keep His commandments. But you're not going to convince me to keep His commandments until my heart is committed. And I'll say, Lord, I'm yours. My heart is yours. And I'll do what you want me to do. Jesus shocks our heart back to life when we come to the cross. Now that's what happened on the day of Pentecost when Peter was preaching the first gospel sermon after Jesus had resurrected. So in Acts chapter 2 and at verse 37, it said, as, as Peter was preaching, it said, they were pricked in their hearts. Why? They heard the gospel story. What happened to them? Oh, it says, well, they all of a sudden they, they understood what they did. They knew what they did. They did it. Now Peter said, you have crucified the Lord of glory. God loved you, sent His Son, and you killed Him. And it says they were pricked in their hearts. When you stand at the base of the cross, and you look in the face of Jesus, and you know that your Father in heaven sent Him down here to tell you one story. And that story was, Chip, I love you. The story was, Margaret, I love you. Somebody says, I, I just can't imagine Him loving me. I can't imagine Him loving me, but He did. And you know what? That touches not my head. That touches my heart. I can hear the story of the cross, but until I open my heart and soften my heart, as we're told it would happen in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27, I'll give them a new heart. Until that happens, I'm not going to respond to God. Now, here I'm, I'm talking about something, and I want to, I want to keep this, this flowing. When we believe in Jesus Christ with our heart, then we obey Jesus Christ from, from our heart. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 says, You have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. Now remember that it's a feeling. I have a feeling. My feeling, of course, we, we understand right away, that the feeling I have to have is a connection to God through the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit tells me who Jesus is through the Word. So I'm, I'm reading the Word and the Spirit is telling me that I have to have a new heart and my, life, my heart comes alive to God because the Bible tells me that God is love. 1 John 4, verse 16. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says that thou shalt love the Lord thy God all thy heart, soul, and mind. And then the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus Himself said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Now these are words that we read in the New Testament. And it's the New Testament and the Old Testament that tell us through the Spirit that God, and He's touching our hearts, that God loves us. That He loves us. Okay. Now, when He tells me that, I should feel something. I should feel something. I should feel His love. But I also should feel love for Him. So it's an emotion. Alright. We're governed by our emotions. Did you know that? 
You're not going to do anything in this life until your emotions tell you to do it. You can learn everything you want to. You can get all the information in this world. But until you actually feel like doing something, you're not going to do it. If I'm going to get up in an airplane and go from one end of this country to the next, I'm going to have to feel like I can trust the pilot to get me there and trust the fact that the airplane will get off the ground. If I don't feel that, I'm not going to get on the plane. And you're not either. I'm not going to do anything that my heart doesn't tell me to do. That's where I'm at. My heart has to tell me what to do. And that's why it's so easy for the devil to come along and, and mess with my heart. You know what P.T. Barnum said? He said, there's a sucker born every minute. Why? Because people open their hearts up, open themselves up, and say, trick me, trick me. It's easy for the devil to tell us a lie. It's easy for the devil to tell us, hey, do you, do you want to be saved? Put your hand on the TV set and you can be saved. <laughs> you know what? A person listening to that fellow on the TV is hearing all this about Jesus. And all of a sudden the man says, put your hand on the TV and be saved. And their heart says, I'm going to put my hand on the TV. But you know what happened? They were fooled. Because the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says in Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, that we're buried with Him in baptism, wherein we also risen with Him in newness of life. So after we're baptized, buried with Him in baptism, we come up out of the waters of grave saved. So baptism is necessary for us to go to heaven. And yet, somebody says, hey, faith only will save you. Well, James says, the only time the word faith only is found in the Bible, James says it's not in James chapter 4. He said, we're, not saved. we're saved by works, not by faith only. So somebody can come along because your heart is wide open and they can tell you something that's not true. So what we need to do, what we, what we must do is make sure... Let's see, I got the wrong one there, I think. I missed one. The Spirit of God has to tell us what is right and what is wrong. Jesus said He knew this was going to happen. He knew that it would be easy to deceive us because our hearts are open. So He knew it was going to be easy to deceive us. So He said in John chapter 16, verse 12 and 13, He said He's going to send the Spirit of truth that would guide them into all truth. Whatsoever He shall speak, that whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. He will guide you into all truth. So He says, I'll give you the, the Holy Spirit and He will guide you. And then John said, if you want to read this, John said that that's what happened with him in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon our hands have handled of the word of life. The life was manifested. You have seen it and bear witness and uh, we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So John said, Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit. John said, we have received the Spirit. And he said, we've written these things to you, so your joy may be full. So here I am with my heart wide open, Lord. 
What do you want me to do? And somebody else, some charlatan comes along and says, Hey, Bill, here's what the Lord wants you to do. So what I say is, show me in God's Word. Show me where the Spirit wants me to do that. If you cannot show me in the Scriptures that this is what God wants me to do, then I'm not going to do it. You, you see the problem when, when we open our, open our hearts in that way? Ephesians 4 verse 17 and I want to read one other passage along this line because this is a very important concept. In Ephesians 4, verse 17, Paul is saying, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So we can be ignorant of God's word and blinded in our heart. Therefore, for our heart to be directed correctly, we have to be in the Word. And the Word tells us which way we should go. That's the Holy Spirit touching us. Now, when we open the Word of God and we let the Word of God in, then, then that's the Spirit touching us. As a matter of fact, Romans 1 of verse 17 is a great, great passage because Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. The energy of God. It's like you've been struck with a bolt of lightning. You know, do you know what the paddles of life are? I think you do. The defibrillator paddles. It's, it's, the, uh, it's these paddles that they put that have electrical, electrical shock, shock in them. Because you go into ventric, ventricle, ventricular fibrillation. Your heart stops. And they put the paddles on either side of your heart. And they hit you with a bolt of energy. And it shocks you awake. That, my friend, is what the Word of God does to your heart. If you say, I haven't been feeling right lately, you have not been letting the Holy Spirit touch your heart with His Word. That's the way you feel better. That's the way you feel stronger. That's the way you feel next to God. That's how you, you, you get close to God. And Peter said, he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and let his and his heart from from let us refrain his tongue from evil and his heart from speaking guile. And then Paul said, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now I have this one more chart. Let's see if I got it. Okay. Now I want to get down to the I want to get down to the nitty gritty. I want to get down to how you should feel. If you have life with God, how can you feel? And the first thing that comes to my mind is that you feel the weight of sin lifted from your heart. Did you feel that when you were baptized into Jesus Christ? When you came up out of the waters of baptism, did you feel like, man, I am free? I'm clean. I don't I don't have any I don't have any sins that I have to face God with anymore. My life before now was a disaster, but now then my life is pure and whole and I can stand before God and as a matter of fact I am connected with God at this point. Now that's I'm just using this as an illustration. How should I feel? How should my heart feel? Toward God. How should I every day feel about God? 
joyful. Okay, I can, I can rejoice because I feel good. How do you feel, brother? How do you feel? Well, you say, I had a bad day. I had, had, had problems the other day. You know, if we can't have a connection with God in the heart, then, then our lives are not going to be well spent and, and not going to be any fun, as a matter of fact. If all you're going to gain in this life is what this life offers, then when the time comes when you hit the wall, the time comes when you can go no further, the time comes when everything looks like a disaster in front of you, the time comes when you feel like your whole world has collapsed on top of you, if you think this, this, this is... If this is all life means to you, then we're of all men most miserable. But Jesus said, I came to give you life. Okay, what does he mean? Okay, I, okay, Bill, I'm going to forgive your sins. You know, Jesus, Jesus talked about this in several different places. In Mark chapter 2, verse 7, there was a fellow let down from the roof, and he was a lame guy. And Jesus, when he, came in, when he came into his presence, Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And all, the, all, all Jesus' uh, critics stood around and said, Hey, only God can forgive sins. They were right. Jesus was God. So he said, Your sins are forgiven you. How do you feel when Jesus says, Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven I don't have to drag them around anymore, do I? Now I can go back. If they're forgiven me, here's how I feel. If I believe in God, and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, if I believe in God, then I believe that I'm not dragging those things behind me. Bill, did you ever make any mistakes? No. Well, sure I made mistakes. I made a bunch of them. And if I had to drag them around all all my life... I'd be, of all men, most miserable. Sure, I'd be miserable. You'd be miserable. If ever, and sometimes people remind us of that. David comes up and says, Bill, you remember when? And all of a sudden, I thought, oh man. But God forgave me of that. I look at Brad and I say, Brad, you know what you did back? And Brad says, oh, yes, I did, Bill, but God forgave me of that. Amen. So he doesn't have to relive that. He doesn't have to regret that. He doesn't have to feel that burden on him. He is relieved of that. Now that's what Jesus said He came to do. He quoted a passage from Isaiah in the book of Luke in chapter 4. The first time He got up to preach a sermon publicly in the, in the synagogue, He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Have you ever been brokenhearted? Disappointed? Somebody betray you? Not only does He lift the burden of sin from your heart, what you did, He lifts the burden of sin of other sins from your heart. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Jesus said when, he, when, when the apostles asked Him, Lord, teach us how to pray. You know what He said? I'm going, to, I'm going to read Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. He said, that which... Not eight, I'm, I'm sorry. 11 and verse 4. Luke 11 and verse 4. He said, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Wait a minute. I have a grudge 
that I want to carry. I don't want to let go of that grudge. Now, I'm not free from sin, am I? I have something against someone, and I'm not sure I want to turn that loose. Matter of fact, I think of that every now and then with great pleasure. You know, sometimes we don't feel good until we feel bad. Really. So here I have, in my past, people have betrayed me. People have said things to me. People have said things about me. People have been ornery to me. People have gossiped about me. People have taken things from me that they shouldn't have. People have broken into my private life and stolen from me. So what do I do? I drag that along with me all through my life? No, as a matter of fact, that's not life, is it? Life is forgiveness of sins. Not only forgiving me of my sins, but letting me know that I can forgive others of their sins against me. That's exactly what should be going on with us. I don't have to be controlled by my passions and my feelings and my appetites. And I don't have to be controlled by grudges and hatred and ill feelings toward others. Jesus takes control of me in His Word. He calms my spirit with His Word. My past does not control my present. Luke 8 at verse 14, which I was going to read a little ago, says, That which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. I can't be choked with things of this life. If I'm going to enjoy life with God, have life and have it more abundantly, my heart has to be open to Him. His heart is open to me. And just one of the benefits of that is forgiveness of sins. God help you remember that as you go through every day, that God loves you and that you can have life with Him by being forgiven and by forgiving others. Let's stand and sing the invitation song together.